Hey, and welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast, the podcast about hypnosis, transformation, and healing. This is Dr. Liz. Today's interview is with Drake Eastburn. Now, I interviewed his wife, Lindsay, about moving from infertility to fertility back in episode 29. So now I'm interviewing her husband, Drake. And this is like a power duo. They own a huge hypnosis center in Denver. Drake's resume goes on for pages and pages. He's a registered psychotherapist, a board certified hypnotherapist and certified instructor through the National Guild of Hypnotists. He's been a member of all kinds of societies over the years, like board member of all kinds of societies. And he is also an author. He has written six books, one of them being like, what is hypnosis really? That's the title. I love that title because we get asked that question all the time as hypnotherapists. So he's going to lay that out for us in this interview as well. He teaches all the time, internationally, very much in demand. And he's also been the official hypnotherapist to the U.S. Olympic cycling team. That is exciting, folks. You know, they're about to be professional athletes, right? It's like that's the level of training and dedication it takes to get to that level. There's all kinds of stuff that goes into it. Hypnosis is one of them. Visualization, being able to relax, being able to get out of your own way is a big piece of what most teams use to perform well during the Olympics. So we're going to hear him talk about that as well. And then the interview goes into fear of flying. It sort of naturally takes its path that way. I don't always know which direction these interviews are going when we start them. So that is a really, really interesting part of the interview. So stick around for that part. All right, let's jump in. Welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast, Drake. I'm really happy to have you here. Well, I'm really happy to be here. Wonderful. Let's jump right in with the first question I ask most people, which is, what was your first experience with hypnosis? Well, uh, I guess my first formal experience was with the Silva method back in the early 70s. And uh, I was mostly doing this type of thing for my own personal growth. Also, at that time, I uh, suffered from migraine headaches and I learned hypnosis methods to get rid of the migraines and I've never suffered from that since and I've helped an awful lot of people get rid of theirs since then so that was kind of my start there wasn't a day when I said uh, I want to grow up to be a hypnotist you know uh-huh. but it's like <laughs> I just uh after doing the Silva stuff I took everything that they had to offer and I looked for other classes you know, I went to the East Coast or the West Coast or to Las Vegas or wherever I could find a class to take. And there was a Colorado Free University, uh, actually it was De- uh, Denver Free U- University at the time, was offering some hypnosis classes. And I got on board with that and I became good friends with the instructor and one of the other students. And we started a business using hypnosis uh, methods. Eventually, I was accumulating all these credentials, and I decided, you know, I could make a living doing this. didn't take long before I was the biggest guy in town, just uh-huh. because I, I didn't have a wife at that time. I didn't have a, a trust fund, and I didn't have wealthy parents, and I had to make a living. And so I just did whatever it took, and 
pretty soon I was a, a big name. I've been uh, hard at it ever since. And it's one of those things, you know, people, people a lot of times, uh, Monday morning starts to roll around and they get a little sick feeling in their stomach, you know, about mm-hmm. what, back to that crappy job they have. And I can say I've never had that. <laughs> I get up every Monday morning and I'm thrilled with what my day is going to be like and eager yes. to meet clients and do all those kind of things. I feel the same way. Like it is always an interesting week coming up. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to back you up a little bit. I'm not familiar with the Silva. Is it Silva or Sylvan? Silva. Silva. S-Y-L-V-A. Uh-huh. Silva Method. Yes, it was developed by Jose Silva in the oh, mid to late 60s. He called it uh, mind control, which because uh, he thought hypnosis had kind of a negative context, but mm-hmm. uh, mind control wasn't much of an improvement over that. <laughs> yeah, and, let's go from hypnosis to mind control. And, right? Yeah, really. Then it became Silva mind control and then just the Silva method. But he was uh, he avoided using the term hypnosis, but it very much was hypnosis. He was a a trained hypnotist, mostly through uh, his own study. He was a very smart guy, but uh, he wasn't uh, highly educated. Mm-hmm. But he learned uh, uh, he learned how to repair uh, electronics uh, and things like that to support his family. But he was very much into this hypnosis thing, and he learned to um, help his kids do their schoolwork and things using hypnosis methods. And eventually, developed it into a system. Mm. And it was very widely uh, accepted. Now it is part of the Mind Valley program, I believe. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Mind Valley is a huge, still like in the, in the it, field. It's a huge yeah. um, a producer, really. Of oh my hypnosis, gosh! Yes. Yeah, hypnosis, hypnosis files and downloads and all kinds of all kinds of material. Oh. Actually, way more, even more than that. Oh my gosh! Yes, lots of things. So that was your starting point, but obviously you went far beyond that. Yes. Yes. And like I say, I took a lot of classes and things like that and then started my own practice. And I became affiliated with it. There was a school out here in Colorado for a while, and I became affiliated with them, and I did a lot of things for them. And then uh, another school started up, and I became part owner of that school and director of education. Oh, after I'd done that for uh, several years, I was at a convention in New Hampshire where I met uh, Lindsay. But that was in August of 99, and uh, November 6th of 1999, we were in Las Vegas getting married. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) You hypnotized each other, right? You know, I had to make some goofy joke about that. (laughs) You know, and it's really funny because we just met at that convention. Oh, it was... Uh, Sunday, I think, or yeah, she was, she had, uh, she's from Canada, but she was living in Chicago at the time. She had to go back to Chicago and I was staying there for a while. Uh, I said, don't think about me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that, that little hypnosis suggestion went, <laughs> worked out pretty well, actually. And, uh, yes. She hasn't been able to stop thinking about me. I bet she wishes she could at times, but, <laughs> awesome. but, uh, yeah, our first date was in September, and I flew her out here for five days. And then, you know, when we went on a date, it was like one of us had to fly to Chicago or somebody had to fly to Denver, and we thought, you know, this is going to be kind of a drag. So we just went ahead and got married and got it over with. <laughs> Wonderful. So let's jump into 
the title of one of your books, What is Hypnosis Really? Could, mm-hmm. could you, I, obviously you wrote a whole book about it, but could you condense that a little bit for our listeners? Like how yeah, do you I, explain <laughs> hypnosis when someone asks? This is, should be one of the easiest questions I could answer. You know, all hypnotists have some quick, nice little uh, answer that they can give or that they learned in hypnosis school or whatever. Mm-hmm. And most of those <laughs> answers are really not very good. Uh-huh. In the book, what is hypnosis? I say, I was being, oddly enough, I was being interviewed at the time I was writing this book. And the guy says, well, what do you, what is your definition of hypnosis? I said, well, it's funny because I'm writing a book on this right now. That, and we chat a little bit. And then he goes, well, my definition is hypnosis is any subconscious response. From a, from a hypnotist point of view, that's not too bad of a definition mm-hmm. because that's what we're working with all the time is the subconscious. And so any sort of subconscious response is hypnosis. However, hypnosis, what we try to do is compartmentalize things. We like to put things in a nice, neat little box, which makes it easy to explain. And when we're dealing with the public, it's really nice to have that nice little quick definition that we can give people, and it helps to ease them. Some people say, well, hypnosis is a relaxed state or a profoundly relaxed state. Mm-hmm. At times that can be true, but that's not, not necessarily true at all. It's uh, hypnosis. We don't have to be relaxed at all. But it makes a nice little um, statement that we can give clients because they go, well, if I'm going to be relaxed, that's not too bad. So mm-hmm. they can deal with that. <laughs> true. <laughs> true. Often when you're working with, with trauma or some of the more um, anxiety and you're not relaxed. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That, uh, that definition only works Part of the time, and other definitions, like a popular one, is uh, hypnosis is a, a state of high suggestibility. Most of these kind of definitions are not definitions of hypnosis, but they are descriptions of qualities that are often experienced while in hypnosis. A heightened state of suggestibility is something we experience as a result of being hypnotized, and not vice versa. Same way. Relaxed state could be uh, part of being hypnotized, but it's not necessarily. And a lot of uh, definitions are basically just uh, descriptions of qualities that we experience while we are in hypnosis. Mm -hmm. So in this new book I'm writing, I talk about the elephant and the blind man and how each blind man is describing the elephant from his particular point of view. Mm-hmm. Each of the blind men is correct in their uh, view of uh, from their perspectives of what they see. Yes. However, none of them are correct at all. Mm-hmm. We're all trying to describe something. And this is what kind of happens is we're trying to put hypnosis into a, a box. We're trying to compartmentalize it so that we can complain, uh, des- describe it. And the problem is that there's just not a box quite big enough to fit everything into without some arms and legs and things sticking out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we learned in uh, high school, the teacher would say, do not use the word to define the word. Mm-hmm. And 
which makes some sense. <laughs> right. And it's but, always frustrating as well. Right? Yes. <laughs> but there are certain things. Electricity is the definition of electricity, and hypnosis is the definition of hypnosis. So hypnosis is all over the place. When people have fear of hypnosis, it's, it's not hypnosis that they're afraid of. It's not understanding hypnosis that they're afraid of because they're using hypnosis all the time. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I remember my accountant was like, oh, no way hypnosis. Like, you know, I don't trust anyone that much. He's a musician. He's He does all these things. Actually, he's a very interesting person. And you're right. He didn't realize, like, you're going into a hypnotic trance when you're playing drums. Like, absolutely, that's what drums do for people is <laughs> actually put them into a hypnotic trance. Absolutely. Right, yeah. I think people's fear comes up around like you're gonna do something to me in that state Mm-hmm. and the truth is we still it, it is the formal hypnosis that we do as therapists is the least thing that people should be concerned about mm-hmm. i mean we're there to help them and they have control they're aware that they're being hypnotized so they have some measure of control of what's going on yes uh, I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. I know that you worked with the U.S. Olympic cycling team at at some point. So can you tell us about that experience? Like, how did you get connected with them? What was it like? I'm sure people are curious about it. You know, I'll tell you uh, one thing is being in this business a long time and working with a lot of people and having a good reputation tends to bring you things. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people come to you that might not have come to you otherwise. A gentleman come, came to me because of somebody else that I saw, and he, this guy's a, a genius. Uh, I mean, really, and he and I are good friends. I just saw him a week or so ago. He's a bio, uh, a physiologist, a PhD physiologist. It, he's, a, he's a freaking genius. And he, he was a cyclist uh, himself, a competitive cyclist. He came to me and talked to me, and he brought his whole team in to see me. And uh, I've worked with them individually over the years. I still work with with a lot of them. It, it's been exciting. I went to I've been to some of their events. Like I went to the tour to California with them, and worked with all the cyclists right there uh, at the tour to California. Mm-hmm. And you know, being an introvert. Being in the mix of all this, and there were so many things going on that was like overwhelming. But uh, at one point, they set me up in a hotel room, and then every hour, one of the cyclists would come in, and I'd work with them. And that went on all day long. I think I finished up like two or three o'clock in the morning. And the the last person I worked with was one of their sonniers, which is um, a person who is a, a massage therapist, but they also do all kinds of things for the cyclists. Like, you know, if you need clean underwear or something, they'll get it for you. You uh-huh. know, what you want, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're like at your beck and call. But she came in because she smoked, and she was the only person on the team who smoked. And she was my last uh, client of the day, so I helped her to stop smoking. But I just oh. felt I was totally in my element. Then. I was just working with one person right after the other. Boom, 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 all day long. And it, it was just exciting. And I've gotten to work with a, a lot of these big names in cycling and other sports as, as well. I uh, worked with a lot of these um, uh, cage fighters there for a while. Uh-huh. Every guy that I worked 
with is still at the top of his uh, ranking right now. As far as I've uh, seen, I haven't checked up on him lately, but they've been doing really well. So can you give some detail about, for like the athletes listening and just curious, about like what are you doing with them in that session? Is it walking them through winning? Is it um, working with some of their mental blocks and that's individual to each person? Like, Can you give us a description, just a brief summary of that? Absolutely. And it is individual to each person. You know, sometimes it's very simple stuff. It could be things that are holding them back. One of the questions I always ask my athletes is, when you win a race and that uh, journalist sticks a microphone in your face, are you comfortable with that? Mm-hmm. Because if a person isn't, is uncomfortable being on TV or in the, on the news or something, they could subconsciously uh, undermine themselves and uh, like that and not win a race. Things like that, you know, Mm -hmm. stupid things sometimes. But a lot of it is, uh, especially with the cyclists, one of the things that I worked with a lot was just toning them down a touch, you know, giving them a little something extra because we, we go into a race or a lot of competition and we're all hyped up. We got all this adrenaline going on. Mm-hmm. And and we need that, but sometimes it's a little too much. And the c- cyclist is in the middle of uh, a race, mm-hmm. and if they're so wired, they could miss an opportunity. Yeah, you know, or they could take out the whole team and the teams right. behind them. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Sometimes somebody could uh, have a wreck or something. You could be so focused on avoiding the wreck that you're not focused on the fact that this is a good time to make your breakaway mm-hmm. or like that. So there's just a lot of little things like that, and it's different for each person. I had one cyclist that I worked with uh, a lot, Timmy Dugan. He was at the Tour de Georgia, and he had a bad uh, accident and a a terrible closed head injury. Mm. He was in a coma for a few days, and uh, they had him at Craig Rehabilitation Center here, and he was still uh, continuing to do work there and seeing me. And after... He saw me, and he gives me all kinds of credit for this. And he's on our website and stuff as the things that he accomplished. But he, the, when he uh, got back on the circuit, he became the the national champion. Wow! And, wow. Yeah, they made a special bicycle for him and a special uniform and all this, you know, a special jersey, all this kind of stuff. He credits me for, and uh, I didn't do it. I helped him to do it. But mm-hmm. uh, but know, was it? Overcoming fears after that accident, like overcoming. There's all those kind of things because, uh-huh. yeah, we do. Uh, and, and that's what I find even with, uh, especially with my, uh, like I work with a lot of young girls who do cheer and gymnastics and like mm-hmm. that. And that's one of the things. They'll go out there and they'll have an injury. They'll flub something up and they'll have an injury. And now they, they can't do that thing, you know. And it's like, and that's a lot of what I do is help them to get past that thing because now we have that fear. Oh, God, last time I was doing this, this is what happened. And so we hesitate. And actually, if we hesitate, it's probably going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. And uh, So it's yeah, so it's walking yeah, them through it, visualizing, but also giving suggestions for safety and um, calmness and focus. Sure, and it may be regressing them back to that incident or even previously because – Oh. And be playing that in a whole different way. It's just there's um, 
a zillion different approaches. Interesting. Can you um, tell our audience, not all, not everyone's going to know what regressing them back means. So that means like taking them back to the time that it happened. So yes. are you taking them back to the time to get information about what happened or what are you doing back there? No, dealing with the feelings around that. The feelings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I'm sure they have like a million videotapes, you know, at, the, yeah. at that level, right? We, we know what happened. But it's sure. the feelings then that you're going back to. Yes. And think of this. It may not be that incident that we think it is that caused the emotion. It, it may That incident may have made the emotion worse but it may be something that was triggered much earlier in their life. For instance, if I got somebody who has a fear of flying, uh, it's never been about airplanes. Mm-hmm. And if you focus on airplanes, you may help the person, but you're not helping them completely because 90% of the time it's about control. People feel like they're losing control when they get on a plane and pretty yes. much they don't have any control. Yeah, they are, right? It's, it's accurate. You don't have control here. Yeah. You got to give it up to the pilot and the flight crew and hope the heck everything goes all right. Right, yeah. But those feelings of control started earlier in life, and it could be at birth or even pre-birth, you know? So it's like uh, we look at, okay, what's triggering what happened? Maybe we're sabotaging or something like that. I'll tell you an interesting case of a cyclist who came to me, and he came to me for something that was not cycling-related. And it was about travel and uh, being away from his family and things like that. Mm-hmm. And he was a very good cyclist. He'd never won uh, a segment of a race. He'd never won a race. He was a support rider, and he was very good at it. He helped a lot of other people reach the victory lane, but he had never uh, been there. Mm-hmm. And he said he was fine with that. He said, I make good money. I support my family. He said, I work. At, he's in a, uh, was on a national team at that time, which meant he didn't have to fly overseas or things, which was good for him. Mm-hmm. So I, I worked with him. He had two races coming up right afterwards. One was uh, a tour of Utah and one was a tour of Colorado, which has been a pretty big one there of late. And he won segments of both of those races. He got picked up by a team in Europe, and now he's <laughs> cycling over there. And not because I worked with him with those things, but because I worked with his other fears that he had. And when those were gone, it opened up all kinds of other possibilities for him. So it's funny how things can work in our favor. But uh, Yeah, so you're saying you know, he had to work around the, the fear of flying and some of the travel stuff. And, yeah, and yeah. part of this started because... He had a child. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. People want children. He loved his child and all that, and we look forward to it. But children add another layer of responsibility sometimes. You know, whatever coping strategies we had for life, all of a sudden we get another layer of responsibility, and our coping strategies begin to break down, and it begins to pop out in some other way. Yes, I worked with a stewardess. A professional her whole life and she had a child somewhat later in life and once she had the child she's like i i can't fly anymore i'm terrified i'm ter-. and it's it was she knew it was because of the child you know thinking Absolutely. like so yeah that does pop up for people it changes over time and children are often um 
the trigger for that is what starts that is that feeling of, you know, not Absolutely. not risking anything for that child to be alive for the child. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, we we have a lot more responsibility at that time, and we we wouldn't take risks that we might have before we had that child. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I took a lot of risks when uh, I was single because I was the only one that this was going to affect, you know. Mm-hmm. But it did, in some ways, help me to get ahead. But on the other hand, if I'd been married and had kids at that time, I, I don't know if I'd have taken some of the risks that I did. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Occasionally, I'll run across a website and see someone really accomplished. And then I think to myself, mm, I think you were having kids during that time, you know, like... <laughs> Right? Like they take pretty much all your energy there. So. Yeah, we love them, but you know, it's <laughs> we <like> do. <laughs> yeah, but you know, back to the the point of sometimes that those fears, though, even related to keeping them safe, meaning like you're going to keep yourself safe so you can keep them safe, sometimes get in our yeah. way, and yes. they they tend to go overboard and stop us from really um, developing professionally, personally, like all kinds of ways. You bet. So hypnosis can come in and say, hey, let's look at what's going on here and rewrite some of those things. Yes. Yes. Hmm. So I know that you have a new book coming up, and I wanted to ask you some about that. You said you had two new books. One's in editing and one's still being written. Yes, and and Lindsay's got me starting on another one. Oh, plus I'm working on one with some uh, (laughs) friends, so... Lord knows uh-huh. <laughs> when yeah. I'm going to sleep, you know. <laughs> but, uh, right. Uh, so can the you... one that's being edited right now uh, is the Hypnotist Bible. Mm-hmm. It's a whole lot of stuff about hypnosis. Mainly it is definitions of hypnosis terms and stuff like that. It's going to be something you can just open up when, and look something up or... If you just looked through it, it would be an amazing journey through hypnosis. Interesting. Just through it. It's some of everything. But a lot of the the terms that we use commonly now had a history way, way back with like Mesmer and Mm Hillsdale and people like that. And it's like, what do these things really mean? Or some stuff people aren't even going to recognize because, you know, just because some of these terms are not real uh, on on our lips every day, but mm-hmm. uh, they are important to our growth. Gotcha. So did this arise from some of your work being a instructor? Yes, all those things and my own uh, curiosity. And in the back of uh, what is hypnosis, uh, there is a um, glossary of hypnosis terms there. Mm-hmm. And I just really expanded on that like crazy (laughs) okay wonderful great we're coming to the end of our time here and i want to be respectful of your time sure sure i did want to ask a couple more questions about the flying so hypnosis for flying Mm -hmm. one of my questions is do you combine that with any kind of exposure techniques you know more of the cbt kind of perspective from it or is it just straight like in the office working with them around control and where that feeling's coming from in their childhood it doesn't necessarily uh-huh. have to be childhood right it, it very much depends on the individual i'm working with if 
But I think exposure should be something that all hypnotists take advantage of. Because if I hypnotize somebody to stop flying, and they don't have to fly for four months, uh, there's a lot of room for doubt and things to creep in. We want to have people test things right away. The sooner you test things and the sooner your mind realizes, oh, I can do this, then it's going to continue to do it. It tends, whatever path the subconscious is on, it tends to go that way. Now, if it's the path that I'm terrified of flying, then that's the path it's going to take. If it's the path that, oh, I can do this, then it's going to go that way too. Uh-huh. So you recommend that people come in, like let's say they have an upcoming flight and they're yeah. like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do it. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's when they need to come in. You bet. I, I like to see them the day before, you know, that's, oh, really? know, so they're going to put it to the test. That's not always possible, uh-huh. but you always do things like I'll send them out to the airport, go out to the airport, get up and close and personal with those uh, planes. You know, sometimes just driving to the airport would, would terrify some people. Yes. You know? So once they find out they can drive to the airport and it's a little of that, systematic desensitization thing going on under the surface there but you know the more they test themselves and realize they can do it there's a little analogy that i like to use and that is if you get up every morning and you step out on the front porch and you head off for your day and every day you go down this path now that path it could be the the path of a smoker it could be the path of some other bad habit it could be the path of some other dysfunction but every day we go down that path and that is we could think of that as a neural pathway we go that same way every time because that's the way the subconscious likes to do it wants to take the path of least resistance well let's say that one day you get up and you step out on the porch to head out and there's been a big snowstorm and there's no sign of any path anywhere except over here off to the side during the night through the help of your local hypnotist We've dug a new path. That now becomes the path of least resistance, and the subconscious begins to head down that path, and all of a sudden, we're heading in a whole new, healthier, better way, uh, just like that. Mm-hmm. Great. And being hypnotized just by listening to you, but and imagining the path. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. <laughs> All right. So, so you're working with them in terms of, okay, let's, let's do this now. Let's, let's form that new path now. now. Let's go down it now. Let's not delay here. Yeah. And there's some different approaches I take. If it is somebody who they have a fear of flying and the last time uh, they were on a plane, they drove back to Denver from Miami because they couldn't get on a plane that person is going to need some help, uh, and I'm probably going to use regression with them. Mm-hmm. Other people, I could do something more uh, easier. Like I would work with them in an Esdell state, and I do a, tons of work in an Esdell state these days uh, on somewhat less uh, regression than I used to use in the old days. While I'm a big fan of regression, I also feel like I've got developed other tools. I don't always have to use a regression. Mm-hmm. You know, once the mind learns a new way of doing things a new takes a new path it'll continue doing that and we don't always need to go back and 
look at something. Yes. Uh, Can you tell the listeners what the Esdell State is? The Esdell State? Well, it was developed by Dr. James Esdell back around 1840. Uh, And actually, it was a variation of what uh, Mesmer was doing. He was using Mesmer's techniques, which was basically hand passes at that time. And Mm -hmm. only he was doing it better than Esdell or than Mesmer ever had. And he's getting them into this very deep state of hypnosis. And this uh, deep state is actually the state where we do hypnosis for anesthesia. And he did thousands of surgeries in this deep state of hypnosis, which became known as the Esdell state. Mm-hmm. It's also known as the coma state or the hypnotic coma. I don't like those terms, and I don't think we should use them, but Esdell himself used those terms. Mm-hmm. And he kind of started this up. Nobody is in an actual coma, but uh, he did some amazing surgeries. He removed tumors from people where the tumor was actually bigger than the person was. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. He did all kinds of surgeries that were pretty much uh, unheard of at that time, just using hypnosis as an anesthetic. Mm-hmm. And we still do this today, less so because of the development of anest- you know, modern anesthesias. But uh, yes, it's still very effective. And I work in this state a lot. I have a lot of clients for anxiety these days, and it's really good for working with anxiety. Mm. I have a whole program, actually, where I teach working in that Isdell state and the many things that we can do there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so good. Um, yeah, I can't even watch the videos of, like, the surgeries under hypnosis. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've got one of Lindsay uh, sitting in. Uh, she was hypnotizing. Oh, It was our office uh, manager at the time. Mm-hmm. And she was having a surgery uh, on her stomach, and it showed uh, Lindsay hypnotizing her and the, the surgeon removing the problem area and, and like that. And this guy, had, he'd never done a surgery without any anesthesia before, but you know, it showed Lindsay uh, trolling the blood flow with hypnosis and everything. It was really, uh, it was really kind of a cool little wow. video. Wow. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I, I mean, I... I've known people personally who have had surgery under hypnosis, root canal, everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm so like, um, I'll take the anesthesia, you know, yeah. <laughs> for myself. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, next time I'll fly Lindsay out. Right, yeah, I yeah. Surgery. Well, there is something to that. You know, I've, I've had some teeth pulled and stuff basically just with hypnosis and, mm-hmm. uh, it's your friend no matter what. It is. It absolutely if, if all is. we do is take away some of the anxiety around these procedures, it's going to make it go a whole lot more smoothly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there was a procedure I had to have done actually at the gynecologist intimate procedure. And I said, just give me a couple of minutes. I need to go into breathing. I didn't call it hypnosis at the time, mm-hmm. but I was like, I need to do my breathing and then we can start. Afterwards, he was like, oh, my God, like, I've never even seen that, you know. <laughs> so I'm not sure I would use it for surgery, surgery. But that that was pretty amazing to him how just my ability to put myself into that state, it really did decrease pain for me. It wasn't that I was feeling the pain and not reacting. It's like the pain wasn't there. Yes. It, was, it, was, it wasn't at a zero, but it certainly wasn't at the level that most people would experience without that. It is Absolutely. really fascinating. It could, it could well be at a zero. 
Oh yeah, uh, it could. It could. It just mm-hmm. wasn't for me at the time, but absolutely it can be at a zero. We're coming to our end of our time here. So before we go, can you please tell people how to find you, how to contact you if they want to fly out and get hypnosis by you for their fear of flying? Get out. Absolutely. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> or if they want to drive to Denver and then fly home, right? Fly home. That's right. <laughs> or if they're in your local area. Probably the best way is through the my office, and it's office at hypnodenver.com. Okay. So we'll put that in the show notes. And you can find you pretty easily on Amazon as well as looking up yes. your books. So I will put some links to those in the show notes as well so that people can find them pretty easily. So thank you for being here and, and letting us all know more about hypnosis. You know, it's really been my pleasure. enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I found myself laughing along with Drake many, many times during the interview. I never know what path the interview is going to take. Even when we start out with a topic, we often go on to other topics. And I absolutely loved hearing how he works with the fear of flying. I definitely have worked with that in my practice as well. And I love hearing how he's like, oh, you have a flight tomorrow? Then you need to be in today right? Like right before is the best time to do it. So I think that's a great tip for the other hypnotherapists out there listening. I know it was for me. So I hope you have a wonderful week, people. Just a short note that this is airing July 31st, and I am taking the month of August off from podcasting. This is 2017. I need to give myself a little break just to catch up on editing and and planning for the upcoming episodes. I have so many topics I want to cover and interviews I want to do. So August will be a time for me to slow down and do some of that. But don't worry, I will be back in September. All right. Have a wonderful week. Peace. If you like this episode, do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe on whatever player you like, or even better, tell a friend so that more and more people learn about hypnosis and how it can be helpful for them. If you want to know more about me, head over to drlizhypnosis.com. That's D-R-L-I-Z, hypnosis.com. You can see the downloads and see if there's one that's helpful for your life. Or you could also join the newsletter and get a couple of free files as well as lots of good content. I've written a newsletter for well over 10 years. Go ahead and subscribe and join the rest of the world. All right, people. Have a wonderful week.